Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell, and I'm here with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week, we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And today, we are calling this episode a stocking stuffer, and we're going to talk about the theology of Jesus and his incarnation. Yeah, so I'll just say that um, sometimes it's helpful to have a roadmap to what we'll be talking about. So the roadmap for our listeners is just this on this episode. Um, We're going to do a biblical theology or a a systematic theology of the incarnation, how that moves into and informs the, the thoughts of the early church and especially the early church fathers And then why um, is that relevant to us today? Like, how does it impact the way we think and celebrate Christmas in 2021? So let me start with the first part of that, um, biblical or systematic theology of the incarnation. Um, In Matthew's account of the coming of Christ, uh, he writes writes this, um, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So that's the first indication of, okay, um, this is not normal. This isn't an earthly sort of procreation. Um, but you could read that. I suppose you could read that from the Holy Spirit um, in all sorts of different ways. And maybe it was just the Holy Spirit and kind of inspired her to, um, you know, to grow a baby in her womb and yet that child, you know, was going to be half man, you know, um, or something along those lines. We'll get into some of those different heresies um, that came out of a misunderstanding of, of what the scripture tells us. But as you continue to read, um, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a just and just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to re- divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So second time that he mentions that. And then he goes on, she will bear a son. He should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and he's speaking of Isaiah specifically here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, so this is going to happen by the Holy Spirit, um, and therefore, you know, this is a divine, supernatural work that's happening. And then, I mean, to be even more provocative, to say, hey, this was fulfilling of what Isaiah said, um, that this, this one is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so here's kind of the, the interesting thing about that. Um, for centuries since Isaiah was written 700 plus years before Christ, um, Jewish religious leaders and scholars, they'd known this prophecy. Uh, it was well known to them. Uh, but they didn't ever really think it should be taken literally. Uh, they, they believed it was predicting the coming of some great leader through whose work, in more of a figurative sense, God would be present. Certainly not that God himself would take on flesh, um, become a man, um, 
in the way that uh, Isaiah apparently meant it. Um, and that kind of fit with the Jews' distinctive view of God um, that made them, I think we, we, could, we could say, probably the least likely of all people on the earth to believe that a human um, could be God um, or that God would ever um, himself um, enter into our broken world, our broken flesh. Eastern religions, um, at the time, God was seen as this impersonal force that was sort of permeating all things. And therefore, some human beings were great manifestations of the divine. That's what they would think. Uh, Western religions, um, it was more that God is a bunch of personal deities so you think of like Zeus and Hermes and the pantheon of, of Greek and Roman gods. And so sometimes those gods would disguise themselves as human beings for their own purposes. All of that to say that, you know, Eastern religions, Western religions, there was some sort of category by which that could happen. Um, but the Jewish sort of paradigm is that God is not a being within the universe, but the very ground of that universe's existence. And therefore, he's infinitely transcendent above the universe, above humankind, um, would never stoop um, to that level. And they wouldn't even think that. Um, they wouldn't even pronounce or even spell the name that God had given, um, given them for himself, Yahweh. Yeah, because so, he, was, he was so transcendent. Right. I think that they, they, wouldn't they say, they would just call him the name. The name. Hashem. The name. Hashem, yeah. 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 So all of that to just say, kind of on the front end, um, everything in the Hebrew worldview at the time opposed the idea of a human being, um, yeah, a human being being divine. And yet, then here come the Gospels. Here come these Jewish men who write these things that, like, not not could you kind of read into, uh, maybe this is what he's getting, but very provocatively, in a very definitive sort of way, are saying, no, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly who Jesus is. So John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then later on, a verse we'll come back to. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's a, you know, a Jewish man with this Jewish kind of paradigm and worldview who's now saying, no, actually, Isaiah was, this was, we're supposed to take this literally because we saw it, we heard, we witnessed. Um, Paul in Colossians says it this way. I think it's so uh, profound, even with just the words that he uses for in him, that is in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Um, in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So there, there again, the, the Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, yeah. Paul himself is saying like, okay guys, now, um, this, uh, 
Yeah, th- this this Son of God became one of us. Um, Jesus Himself um, became uh, became a yeah. God Himself became a man, and then um, just to add to the, I guess to add to that is Peter too. Um, in Second Peter uh, chapter one verse one, um, his introduction to this letter. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you know, here you have these yeah, three Jewish men um, who have been so impacted and informed and, and transformed by... Um, by Christ himself and had come to understand, okay, no, this is the son of God um, who's become a man, has become one of us. So you could, I guess, at this point say, well, maybe, you know, maybe Jesus was just that impactful and kind of convinced them, some of his closest followers, and they were blind and they were biased and um, he taught these things. And so... Um, or maybe they misunderstood what he was teaching and what he was saying, and they so wanted to believe that to be true, even after he, you know, was crucified, that um, that they just kind of kept on with that. Or, or maybe later on in their lives, um, we didn't check back in with them appropriately, you know, when that view could have changed. But um, I guess what we would have to say is, okay, so Jesus not only convinces his closest followers of this, but he himself regularly and repeatedly self-identifies as God. There's a number of ways he does he does that, but he does it by forgiving sin. Think of Mark chapter two, the paralytic. Um, you know, he says to him, "Your sins are forgiven." You know, and I mean, it was provi- it was intended to kind of cause the Jewish leaders, religious leaders of the day, um, some angst. Like, well, you, how can you how can you do that? You know, I mean. What he's doing there is saying, hey, only God can forgive sin, i.e., I am God, God, right? (laughs) Uh, By forgiving sin, uh, by saying that he's going to come back and judge the earth, by claiming that he has equal knowledge with God, his Father. Um, That's Matthew chapter 11 and other places. And at one point, he even says, um, super provocative in this back and forth with Jewish leaders in in John chapter 8, and they're, you know, accusing him of all sorts of things. And he's referring to Abraham. And um, and he says, before Abraham was born, I am um, taking the divine name of God as his very own, the divine name that yeah. God had given um, Moses to give to Israel in Exodus chapter 3. Um, J.I. Packer Um, says it like this, God became a man, the divine son became a Jew, the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle, needing to be fed and changed and taught like any other child. The babyhood of the son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation, um, which I think, yeah, says it really well. I mean, it's, it is this um, incredibly foundational, compelling 
Um, no other world religion, no other worldview kind of has this as, at its at, at this sort of baseline level. And Packer even goes on to say that once someone can can truly um, believe and embrace that reality, the reality of the incarnation, um, that all other biblical difficult difficulties sort sort of dissolve. Meaning, like people have problems with miracles. Well, how could Jesus really walk on water? Or how could one man die a death that would atone for all sinners? Like that just seems, you know. But once you can kind of wrap your mind around and fully embrace God taking on flesh, becoming a human being, then all those other things seem to kind of just dissolve. Oh, yeah, that all makes sense. So it's sort of like, uh, I guess, the linchpin um, of all the other Christian doctrines that, that kind of fall into place after it's embraced as a, a reality. So understandably so, this is very impactful to these early um, biblical writers, but also to church history and to the mm. church fathers. So um, talk about that a little bit, about how this truth impacted the church. Yeah. I, th- I, I like what you said about the Jewish worldview. That, like, they wouldn't even say the name of God because he was so transcendent. They couldn't imagine, you know, not, not simply not saying the name of God. They wouldn't do that, but they couldn't imagine God you know, becoming a man. I remember recently I was listening to uh, this Jewish scholar was quoting over and over again that God is not a man, that mm. he should repent. Mm. There yeah. it is. It's in the scriptures. Right. God's not a man. How, how can right. God become man? Right. And, I, and, and that confusion, you know, I remember growing up, I heard, <clears throat> what does it mean that Jesus, God became incarnate? Well, it means he was 100% God, 100% man. Right. Yeah. Which, if you do the math... Jesus is 200% something, <laughs> um, which is mathematically impossible, right? It just doesn't make any sense. And, and I think that a lot of people have a problem with that, which is why you have Eastern religions talking about divine being everywhere and Western religions talking about these small deities, tribal deities sort of entering into history. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the confusion of what it means to, for God to become man was a central thing in the early church. Mm-hmm. And it began with... The heresy of Arianism, which um, <clears throat> denied uh, the divinity of Christ, um, in, in essence, it denied that, and so they dealt with that in, in the fourth century. But then there, there was all of these, and we're just real quickly. I just want to go through them because I think it's just real helpful because there's still people that believe this today, like say uh, liberal scholars believe that Jesus was essentially like a Buddha or mm-hmm. or a. Um, a very enlightened teacher who is very connected with God. Well, that's actually an ancient heresy. Right, right. Um, or, or, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was sort of divine. Mm. Um, that's actually Arianism, so on. Well, what they did was <clears throat> they came together in, in the 5th century, and, they, and they, uh, they had this council called the Council of Chalcedon. And um, they made this formula called the Formula of Chalcedon. And what they did was they, they didn't so much come up with a, a positive definition of the incarnation, but they said what the incarnation was not. Well, which what is it a, was not, yeah. Which, yeah. which is a genius move because oh. then you're just like, nope, not that. Yeah. <laughs> then what is it, you know? Right. But they, they have these, these four denials, which what they do is across, across the, um, the board, they deny every single early church heresy, which, mm. I, you know, you have to give them props for that. But let me just, let me just read the, the sentence. <clears throat> and um, we're calling this section 
a stocking stuffer theology of Chalcedon. Of Chalcedon, yes. All right. Yes. So put this in your you, stocking. Put it in your stocking. Giving, give it to your kids. O- open it up on Christmas. <laughs> And, and tell your kids, You're welcome. this is from Chalcedon. This is... And it'll sound, I don't know, <laughs> epic. Won't it sound epic? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, they go on to talk about the preexistence of Christ, but then it says <clears throat> that uh, um, as regards his manhood begotten for us men and for salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, Recognized in two natures, and here, here are the four denials, without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. So without uh, confusion, without change, without division, without separation. So all of these denials, basically what they did was they said, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Like they, they did that to all of these different heresies. So let me just give you... Um, Just an example. So without confusion, Arianism uh, basically taught that Jesus was sort of God and and, uh, he he was sort of a semi-divine being who Mm. became sort of man. Mm. Um, And and if you like, it's kind of the half God, half man type. It's kind of the demigod, Zeus, or the Hercules type of understanding of the incarnation. And uh, so, so they're denying that one. Uh, they're also denying uh, one heresy called Apollinarianism. Yeah. So this was a, a, a guy, he, he was a bishop, and his name was Apollinarius. So all of these heresies, by the way, are named after their... You um, don't want to be, you don't want to have a heresy named after <laughs> yeah. you. I almost feel bad for some of these heretics, because yeah, you can understand as they're trying to wrestle this out. I know. But um, Scripture does kind of correct you, so sorry. sorry. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just saying that hopefully we, one of these days we don't have a heresy called Lucasism. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? All right. Apollinarius. Uh, he had this interesting um, understanding. He basically was kind of with the Jewish people. He, he was like, well, God did become man, but he's so transcendent. How can he take on a full human nature? So he understood that, that God sort of replaced what he, what he called the noose, which is the mind, which is kind of difficult for us to grasp what he meant by that. But basically, what they understood it to mean was that God replace sort of the soul of the human Jesus. Right. So you look at the human body of Jesus, and then God is the soul. Right. And so, again, he's kind of half and half. And so they're saying, no, it's, it's, you're, you're confusing. You're doing half and half. You're not, you're not getting it right. All right? So those are the first two. But then we can look at this, this negation without change. So there was another guy named Eutyches. Mm-hmm. It'd be better if they had... Um, Doable names. These are all just poor. Well, and Eutyches, even the spelling of Eutyches I know, is it's so. Eutyches? 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 All right. Anyway. But he basically said, well, what happens when God becomes man is that a third sort of mutated nature comes out of it. Mm. And so uh, whatever we call Jesus. He's not human. He's not divine. He's kind of this third thing. And so they've been kind of meshed together. They've been, um, and basically what he's saying is that the divine and the human mix together and change into one new nature. And so they're saying, no, no, that's, that's not it either. (laughs) Okay. Um, then there's this other one without division and without separation. Now I'm, I'm kind of playing fast and loose with these ones, but I want to include all these heresies. So without division, what, what does that mean? Basically, there was a lot of theories. Um, may, well, maybe 
Jesus is called God, but it's really that there are two beings that are so closely united that when you look at Jesus, he's so close to the divine that you call him God, basically. Mm-hmm. This would be your typical liberal understanding of Jesus, um, that uh, you know Friedrich Schleiermacher, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Tillich, um, all, all of these guys that are... Um, uh, you know, and, and even getting into the critical theory that, you know, but anyways, all these guys, they, they basically say, what, why did Jesus have such an impact? Well, because he was so close to the divine that yeah. people were just amazed by him. Um, he, they, they just, they didn't know what to do with him. And he was so godly, so exalted that they just called him God. Mm. Well, what that's doing is it's separating, it's dividing the human from the divine. And they're saying, yeah, they're, they're together, but they're really just two beings. Um, along the same lines is um, another heresy called adoptionism. Uh, and this is basically the idea that Jesus was a man who was adopted by God later on in life. Uh, at his, like at his baptism. Yeah. Like, okay, God in Mark chapter 1, yeah. God is saying, um, and, you know, you have this, the skies open up. and yeah. Okay, so it's, it's God recognizing Jesus as like I'm adopting him now. Yeah. As as mine, right? Versus, yeah. So, keep, keep going. Sorry. Oh no, I, I that that's exactly right. Or they yeah. would say that he was adopted at his re, his resurrection. His resurrection, yeah, yeah. And uh, that that God basically is, oh, this is such a righteous guy that mm-hmm. I'm going to take him into heaven, right. and he's going to be my my son. My now. son, yeah, um, yeah. And so this is um, so not eternally existent, right? Um, but he he does exist now eternally, but right. not eternally existent in the past. Mm. And, um, and that was a lot, actually, a lot of, um, early on, there was a lot of Jewish sects. So one, one of the, there was one Jewish sect called the Ebionites who basically took this, this stance like, oh, uh, yeah, Jesus was a Jewish man and really righteous and God just adopted him. Hmm. Well, again, you're dividing Jesus and God. You're making them two different people, two different beings. And then one last one is Nestorianism. Yes. And Nestorian, uh, Nestorius, uh, He's kind of like Apollinarius. He's kind of like an arch heretic. But he basically, he, he, what he did was he was a heretic by uh, um, accidentally. Can you guys just, here's just a little uh, bunny, bunny trail, rabbit trail, whatever. He was a heretic because, not because he necessarily said anything about Jesus at first. Do you know what he's, who, who he talked about first? No. Uh, it, uh, Mary. Oh. So he didn't want to call her Theotokos, mm. which in the Council of Chalcedon, she's called the God-bearer. Mm. And if you understand Christ correctly, she is truly bearing God because right. Jesus, you know. He was like, well, no, she's the Christotokos. Mm. She's the mother of the human Christ. And they said, well, if you do that, then you again, you have two beings. So anyways. S- similar though, like... He affirmed the existence of the person of Jesus, but um, basically said that there was the kind of the logos that was the the soul that was, you know, um, this other sort of part that, again, back to like not fully God, fully man, right? right? Yeah, basically. So not a unified person, not a unified unified being, yeah. And so they, they... what the council does is they have all these negations, so they're basically just... And then it says, there are two distinct natures, and each of these natures is in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each, of each nature being preserved and coming together 
to form one person, but with two natures, yeah. right? So what they're saying is that um, Jesus is one person. So it's not like there's like two people in his head when he's walking around. <laughs> uh, no, he's one person, but as God, he existed eternally in, in the past, had a divine nature, and then at some point in history, this divine person who has a divine nature also took upon himself a human nature. Mm. And that's where we get the 100% God, 100% man. And um, it's just confusing. It, it kind of boggles the mind. But I think that there's so much genius in, in those negative statements. It just saves you from heresy. Yeah. Everywhere. You had already said, but I think a couple things are worth kind of um, noting again is that a lot of those heresies throughout the years come back around in a different yeah, form. That's right. Slightly that's right. different language, um, maybe a little tweak here or there. Yeah. But in, in some ways, that's why, hey, man, the work they did at Chalcedon, the work they did at Nicaea, the work, a, a lot of that is like, hey, we're responding to what the Scripture is giving us what God's revealed word is telling us about the person of Christ, about the incarnation. And we're making sure that we have it all up on the whiteboard. (laughs) And, you know, based on that, we're answering some of these, you know, false teachings about who Christ is or isn't. And then we're also trying to synthesize what what we think the scripture says is true. Um, So very important. And in some ways, that's why, like I remember, one of our guys was just kind of like, oh, man, these creeds, why do we have to go through these creeds? Well, um, in, in some way, shape, or form, um, it is good to know because it's synthesizing everything the Scripture is telling us about the person of God, the person of Jesus, the incarnation, um, and it's guarding our, our hearts against yeah. false teaching, you know? Well, and it just helps you to know that there's nothing new under the sun, right? Yeah. So when, when uh, you know, some liberal guy says, well, you know, he was a great teacher, really close to God. And you can be like, well, that, that's already been declared as heretical. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know, or when a Jehovah's Witness, yeah, well, you know, he is sort of God. You know, he's a, he's a God. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, he's, that's, all, that's also heresy. So you kind of know, like, uh, you're, it, makes you, it makes you confident. What the, the Council of Chalcedon didn't do, though, which that's not what creeds are meant to do, is it didn't explain exactly how. Mm. then right right and um so it is i do think it's good that so you talked about how is it that god can be you know because i have i have a dog well i have two dogs but if if i were to say my dog is very special he's a hundred percent dog a hundred percent cat You'd be like, you would cast, uh, Lucas, you would cast am... that cat demon out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Say, no, he's or, not. Or I ha- there's one theologian that, I, I, I love this illustration, but he, he goes, this is Robert Barron, he goes, um, is there a way that a zebra could become a lion? And, and he says, yes, there is actually, by being eaten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that, in our, in our, at least in my, our mind, we, we, th- we always think in competitive categories. There's no way that my dog can become a cat. There's just no, he's a dog. You can't, mm-hmm. you don't become a cat. But if you have the Jewish categories of what you said, the transcendent God who is the ground of all being, mm-hmm. which means that he's not competitive with his creation. Right. It's not that the closer God gets to Jeff, 
the less of Jeff there is. Right. You know, because right. Irenaeus, he has this really famous line that the glory of God is a man fully alive. Mm. We usually think of Zeus like the closer that Zeus gets to us, the more we're getting electrocuted by lightning bolts. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if God is the ground of all being, then God can assume a human nature without um, compromising the integrity right. of that human right. nature. Right. Uh, and in fact, he can sanctify that human nature perfectly, raise it up to glory, and then we can be united to that human nature uh, by faith. You know. So anyways, I just think that that's, how does God become man? Well, it's not by destroying, you know, it, it's by the glory of God is when man is fully alive, right? So it is possible for God to be one, Jesus to be one person and yet compromising two natures. And if, if, if ever there's something for us to dig into the nuance on, to understand deeply, mm-hmm. it's who God is, right? Like the character of God. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to butcher the quote, quote, but I think it's Tozer that says, um, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. You didn't butcher it at all. <laughs> okay. It's right on. Good job. <laughs> yeah. um, so clearly it's really important yeah. that we do dig into this and understand it. Um, so why, why does the incarnation matter to us? Hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give a few here. I think we're already kind of stumbling through and upon um, what Tozer also says. Like, okay, we want to think rightly about God. You know, we want to have right thoughts about God um, and right thoughts about the person of Christ. Um, and uh, in this case, yeah, that he was fully God and fully fully man. So why is this so relevant to us? 2021, um, the incarnation, first of all, I would say it's, it's our great hope. Um, we've talked about some of these other, um, ideas about God, versions of, of who God is. Um, you know, the, the two sort of moralistic God or relativistic God, um, are, are ones that kind of still kind of pervade the collective imagination of, of our, our culture today. Um, and maybe that's, you know, being a little too simplistic. There are other, you know, versions of that, nuances of, of that worldview or that idea of, of who God is. But being our great hope, but what I mean by that is a God who is only holy um, would not have to come down to us in Jesus uh, he would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, be more moral and holy and pious. Um, and as you attain that, um, then you'll you know merit a relationship with me. Um, in the same way, a God of the kind of modern secular imagination that that kind of everything is tolerated, accepted, at, at times even celebrated. Uh, he would have not needed to come to us either. Uh, he would have just overlooked sin and evil, kind of swept it under the rug, and embraced all of humankind no matter what. I think um, I think we kind of go, yeah, I mean, I, I like that because it gets me off the hook. But then there are times in our world, obviously, where we're like, no, that's evil. That's that's wrong. That there's, There needs to be justice for said thing or... Um, abuse of power and so neither the god of moralism 
nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. He wouldn't have had to, you know. Um, he wouldn't have come. But the God of the Bible, infinitely holy and infinitely loving, knowing that sin couldn't just be shrugged off or swept under the carpet, and knowing that we could never attain, climb up to him, um, came down to us. Um, I, like, I think Keller is the one who says, Tim Keller is the one who said, God himself comes to fetch us. <laughs> I love that um, idea. So it's our great hope, um, our great hope that we have that kind of God. We serve that kind of God. We worship and enjoy and have a relationship with that kind of God. Also, the, 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 another one would be just, it's our great comfort. Um, why is it our great comfort? Um, I love the way that the writer of Hebrews um, puts this um, in Hebrews chapter 2, um, talking about Jesus. He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So you think about, like, when you're suffering, when you're in a dark place, um, people can express empathy, um, compassion, a good word here or there, um, but it can still, you can still feel, like, really alone. Like, Mm. they don't really understand. They can't quantify everything I'm experiencing in this moment or in this season. Um, but then you meet someone who's, oh man, like they've had the exact same sort of experiences I have. They have, have the exact same sicknesses I've had. They've had the exact same kind of pain, hurt, rejection I, as I have. And all of a sudden you feel like known and valued and seen. Um, and then usually in that kind of relationship you just start pouring your heart out to them and then you find yourself going oh yeah oh yeah and you're back and forth and it encourages you and it's um i mean it's cathartic it's comforting it's encouraging it's it's all these things right well christianity says that god himself has been all the places that you have been yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> um and therefore you can trust him you can rely on him you know Jesus has been betrayed, he's been lonely, he's been anxious, he's been afraid, he's faced death. Um, Jesus has faced everything you have, right? Um, And therefore, because he's been made like his brothers in every respect, he can tend to, he can comfort, he can encourage, he he can speak to those deep places in all of us that have been cut and wounded and and damaged. So um, our great hope, our great comfort, and then you know we've been stumbling upon this or around this. Just our great our great Emmanuel. Um, that word I think is supposed to comprise like he's God, he's human, he's with us. Um, God, human, with us. Um, what does it mean to be with us? Uh, well, in in Mark's gospel, so this is uh, this is Mark chapter three, verse fourteen. Um, it says, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Um, I think we see from what we know of the kind of the, 
yeah, the, the, the narrative from that point on. What, what, what does it mean to be with Jesus? It means to be in his presence. It means to um, be in his company, converse with him, learn from him, um, have the comfort of his fellowship moment by moment. Um, and that's really what, you know, the incarnation does. It gives us this, this God who is with us, who is present. And you think about, like, I was thinking about, like, even the greatest Old Testament prophets would have been, like, think about Moses, you know? Like, he went and met with God in a tent up on a mountain, you know? And then he came out. And it, but but the, just that idea of God being with you, yeah, present with you, able to converse with you, able to enter in, carry you through, lead you um, in life and through all of these different things. So when John, that, that you know, when John then, um, a passage we already read, but when John in John chapter, what is it? John chapter one, verse 14, you, you get what, like you hear what he's saying in a kind of a new um I guess in, in compelling way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and true truth. And then later on he says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So um yeah, our our great hope, we have a God who's come for us, our, our great comfort, he has experienced everything we have experienced and is able to to enter in and be our, our great high priest. And then our great Emmanuel, um, we get to be with him. He's present with us. Um, and I think that's that's how how I would, I guess, why, why is it relevant? Why um, is it important for us to to at least spend some time kind of reflecting on it and chew on it a little bit? That's That's why. Anything you would add to that? Uh, yeah, I just, I love the, the second point that you brought in there, a great comfort. You know, it makes me think of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little quip, only the suffering God can help. Mm. You know, he was living during the Nazi regime, mm. you know. Yeah. And, uh, but just this idea that, that Jesus experienced our suffering. Um, and then it just makes me think of, you know, going back to the early fathers. I do feel like there was kind of this... Oh, enlivening awareness of, of what all the implications of it. Like, so for instance, Gregory of Nazianzus was a father, a early church father, uh, lived in the East. And he, he just had this idea like, well, it, and he was responding to these heresies. He just said, well, if Jesus didn't become fully human, then we're not fully redeemed. Mm, wow. He's like, if, if Jesus didn't have a human soul, then maybe our bodies might be redeemed, but not our, not our souls. Right. Or if he didn't have a mind, then... And, and he was just like, he had this famous line that says, whatever is not assumed is not healed. Mm. So whatever was not taken up right, right. in the incarnation right. is not saved. Mm. But what that means, though, is that every single human experience, uh, integral to being a human, is taken up into God. Yeah. Right? And, um, yeah, that just makes... I feel like relating to God totally different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you have the Eastern religions that say, Oh, God is everywhere. Yeah. Well, that just means God is nowhere. Right. And then you have the Western religions that say, Oh, God is uh, in competition with you. He's like Zeus. He wants you to work your way up, you know, all that sort of stuff. He's very, very far away, mm-hmm. but this is the God who's infinitely holy and yet and transcendent and yet now has 
taken upon himself every bit of human experience. And that I, I just I just think that's incredible. Yeah. I think it's so unique, I think, is yeah. what, you know, yeah. to yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Well, we could end it there or we could jump into some <laughs> bad theology for Christmas Q&A. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Let's do it. Let's jump in. So this is this is the fun part. Yeah. So if you are sleeping, now's the time to wake up. Because uh, we're going to um, look at some bad Christmas theology that maybe you're guilty of it. And, maybe uh, you are. Maybe you need to, maybe, re- maybe you need to repent <laughs> of your bad Christmas. Maybe I thought this was a fun part. To ask God for forgiveness because, uh, no. No, this is, uh, we, we are poking fun. <laughs> some of these are not super serious, <laughs> but they do have some. They do um, touch on serious theology. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Serious beliefs. Yeah. 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 And the incarnation and what we've just covered. So. Yeah. So I'll hit one off the top. Um, There's this idea that Jesus was born in total squalor, like a dirty, gross old barn that was cold and miserable. Um, And when you look at the scripture, you can see like, okay, so Jesus or Joseph was going home to his his hometown. So clearly he had family there. He was in the line of David. Mm -hmm. So all he needs to do is knock on somebody's door and say, I'm Joseph, son of, you know, son of David. And he's going to have a place to stay. Yeah. not to mention, in every culture, pregnant women are given special attention. <laughs> so no one, no one is going to just ignore a pregnant woman. Um, Can you imagine? Right? No. 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 There's. I think. I think we have this kind of picture in our minds yeah. of the. You the look Christmas like you're story. still in the second trimester. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. They don't Come look back that in a few months. You'll be all right. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I know of the Middle Eastern people, my husband, my in-laws, um, these are people who are hospitable mm. and who show honor to their guests. Yeah. And so these are not people who would just turn people away, ignore people completely. So you can look at the history. You can look at the language a little bit. Um, mangers were often inside. Um, the stable might have been a part of the house. Yeah. Um, the phrase, there was no room in the inn, might have meant there wasn't, there wasn't space in their guest room. Yeah. Um, but the idea that they're just going to get turned away and put like in the dirt is, is not super uh, realistic. So it wasn't necessarily a cold and lonely stable. Um, it was probably a warm and friendly home. Yeah. And it might have been humble. Yes. Uh, it certainly was humble, but... Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a palace. It wasn't where we think the king of kings should have yeah. been. But the story is enriched. It's not cheapened by the fact that it didn't have to be this, like, back alley. Yeah. So that's bad theology. Bad so theology, guys, yeah. of which I'm sure all of us were guilty at one point. Or at another. one point, yeah. 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 All right, here's the next question. Mary, did you know <laughs> that your baby boy would one day... Something. Walk, walk on, on water. water. Was it walk on yeah, water? Walk on well, water. I guess in that, in that, that's the specific question. She probably didn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, did Mary know who Jesus would be? That's the question. And it's based off of the horrible uh, song, unless you like it. I uh, mean, if you... It's if, good. If you, if you like, if you like it, it. Um, you probably like cats too, but that's okay. <laughs> There's time and room for you to repent of that. No, if you like the song, it is a sweet song. It's a sweet song. Um, but what we would say is, yes, she knew. Um, not everything, you know, right. not everything, not the full significance per- perhaps. Right. Yeah. 
It's not. It's not like she was walking around saying, "Yeah, there's one person, two natures." Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, nothing annulled by the. You know, it's not like she's writing out the Chalcedon, <laughs> Nicaea, or whatever. But the angel did tell her she was actually the source for Cal. No, for Chalcedon. No, she wasn't. Um, yeah, but she she uh, may not have fully understood. But bad theology. Quit, that quit singing that theology. song, people. Stop it. Um, Take it off your Spotify. List. <laughs> Uh, next one, um, the wise men visited baby oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> the wise men. So my, my nativity scene. Yes. And probably yours too, if you have one. Well, I think we has, have like five. Has, well, if it has wise men <laughs> that are there with a baby in a manger, uh, that's bad theology. Um, that's what bad. we're saying. Real bad. That's what we're saying. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 is obviously happening sometime after it says after the baby was was born and then there's this you know obvious um time lapse i guess of uh and then even in his account um yeah let me let me find it here um yeah they came and and to and, and saw the child you know so jesus is probably a toddler at this point yeah, he, he was at least two years old yeah. is what I think. Scott, I mean, what we do know about these, we don't know who they are. We do know that they are pagan astrologers yeah, uh, searching for the divine up in the sky. I mean, this, this, this is pagan uh, practice. Uh, they, were, they were probably, uh, we call them wise men because they were probably um, uh, religious or spiritual supervisors to the king, to some sort of king. So there are some scholars that think that maybe they came from Babylon. Mm. It, now, if if that's the case, then that would have taken a very long time, so two years, probably to to make that that venture. And at this point, you know, we know that there's a house and there's a child um, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then you have the the gifts, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, G- Jesus probably at this point. At least in the Johnny Jump Up, you know, or <laughs> or uh, you know, doing some some yeah some 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 sort of early Hebrew alphabet blocks or something, right? Is that what we're saying? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. So um, yes, wise men visited, but Jesus is a is a child at this point, He's not a, a yeah. not a baby anymore. So get rid of your nativity. Throw scene. those wise men out. Get those wise men out of there. Or put you know what you could do is you just put them like put them over on a table <laughs> yeah. far away. <laughs> they have a long journey ahead of them. They have them. a long journey. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is gonna be grown up by then. Next one. All right. I put this one in here, but I, I think this is a fun discussion to have. So uh, we know that Jesus is God and man. Um, does that mean he just kind of plopped out of the womb, just fully perfect? Uh, just, mommy, please, can I have some milk? Uh, <laughs> if you don't mind, I love you perfectly. Halo uh, uh, yeah, over my right. head. So we, we know that Jesus did not sin, but, but um, did, did, did Jesus not have to grow in any way? Did he not have to learn? Sometimes we, we, we have this picture of Jesus as if he was just... Perfect, perfectly knowledgeable. He he memorized the Old Testament. You know, he just kind of plopped out of the womb that way. Um, how do we how do we think about Jesus 
And, and let, me, let me flip it around the other way. So we do know, like in Luke 2, at mm-hmm. the end of Luke 2, mm-hmm. it says that Jesus grew in yes. wisdom and in knowledge. In knowledge, yeah. And then in Hebrews, it, uh, I think it's Hebrews 2. It's either Hebrews 2 or Hebrews 4, but that Jesus was perfected through suffering. Through suffering, right. So what, what that tells us is that in some way, Jesus is without sin, but also he is growing, he's, he's improving, he's being perfected. Mm-hmm. So what does that like? What does that even what does that even mean? You know, um, how do we think about that? Mm-hmm. And especially in light of the incarnation, Jesus is God, that sort of thing. Go ahead, you start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I guess I would just say um, that. Well, I guess my first answer would be that there's a difference between um, growing, uh, you know, from from being a sinner to being a, a, a not, you know, growing morally. Sure. Right. Sure. But we also have to account for, uh, f- physical, uh, going along the normal course of, of human, uh, progression and, and growth. And so the fact that G when Jesus came out of Mary's womb, he did not know how to speak. Yeah. Uh, we also have to presume that, that there was a growing awareness even of his own divinity, yeah. <laughs> um, even of his own identity um, so, so we can't, uh, so let's take sin out of the picture. There is this idea that Jesus is growing in his own awareness. He's, he's learning to speak. He's learning to relate to his parents, all of these things. Um, he's perfected through suffering. Uh, he, he had not suffered, right? So there's something that he, he goes through suffering and he's, he's, he's being perfected. His, his, so, um, yeah, I mean that that's kind of how I, I guess I would start the answer there. I think even in yeah, Luke's narrative, um, the boy Jesus in the temple, so still in Luke chapter two, but it says after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Right. Yeah, right? About that one. Yeah. So the implication there is like that's exactly what he's doing. He's growing in knowledge and understanding. He's He's gaining something from being there, um, listening to them, taking in information, understanding the the scriptures, and um, in a way that a yeah that a young preteen or adolescent would. Um, so yeah, there's growth happening there, development happening there, um, so and th- and even there, like he he says, should I not be with my father? Yeah, yeah. So there's obviously some sort of and and this is obviously hearkening back to I think Samuel. Mm. Uh, in the temple yeah. Yeah. where he's kind of hearing the voice of God. And yeah. he, oh, you know, yeah. Jesus is sort of the, the fulfillment of that narrative. But it's almost like, oh, wait a second, God is my father. And then by the time you get to John, he has this like full understanding that because he's the eternal son of God, right? He's right. like John 5, I'm doing what my father is doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I just think that we have to acknowledge. I guess the reason I put this in here was we have to acknowledge that as a man, yes, he's God, but as a man, he would have progressed in life. Yeah. You know, we have to kind of take that into account. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the scripture seems to in, imply that, yeah. you know, as we as we kind of even walk out the narrative. So uh, next one, you're going to have to take this. Santa Claus never existed? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did Santa Claus ever truly exist? Kids, this would be the time to go into the other room, go into the den. Don't listen to these things. Yes. Don't listen to these heretical comments from your worship pastor about well, Santa. I, so this is my, one of my favorite things during Christmas. 
is, yes, he did exist, but not the mythical Santa, right? So not the mythical Santa who lives in the uh, North Pole. North Pole, okay, North Pole. yeah. With his elves and, and, and all that stuff. But we do know that there was a, uh, a St. Nicholas, right? Um, jolly old St. Nicholas. And he was jolly, and he, uh, he was a gift giver. He was generous. He gave of his, his resources to children. Um, so he, he was a Christian, and he was sainted even. He, he was seen as a, um, somebody important in the early church. And, and what we've been handed down, at least, is that he was a leader in the early church. He was a bishop. And that apparently he was at the Council of Nicaea. Yes. This is, this is the word on the yes. streets. Yes. But now <laughs> let's talk about how that so is he, mythologized <laughs> and becomes legend. So, so he was a theologian. He was a, a Christian. He was a leader. Now, uh, Council of Nicaea is a response to the Arian controversy. And what is told of, of Santa <laughs> is <laughs> that he, didn't, he, he came bearing not gifts, but a knuckle sandwich. Yes. Yes. For Arius. Yes. No, it's, the, the story goes that while at the uh, council, so they all kind of convened, Arius was there with his posse, and St. Nicholas comes in, and we're told that he punched Arius in the face, and um, that he lost his... Uh, his, his, uh, his card. His basically. leadership yeah. card, yeah. yeah. He, was, when he went to jail because of it. Um, and then that story even took off even more that while he was in jail, Jesus appeared to him in jail and congratulated him, thanked him for punching Arius. And uh, because of that, he was reinstated. So, um, so I that, feel like that's a much better so that last Santa Claus. bit is legend. It's, it's a myth. Yes. But, uh, you know, uh, as, as in contrast... To the modern secular day Santa, um, I think we could at least take some liber- liberty to teach them about the real Santa. The real Santa punches um, heretics. Yeah. So here's or you could just say, kids, is it possible that at the Council of Nicaea, he punched Arius in the face? It is possible. Dude, there's uh, a meme. Uh, I can take this out of the podcast, but there's a, a meme... <laughs> Where this kid goes up to Santa Claus and the kid goes, is it homoousios or homoousios? <laughs> <laughs> and Santa Claus goes, what? And he goes, you're not the real Santa Claus. <laughs> so That's those hilarious. are two Greek terms uh, that were related to Nicaea, which means homo, homo means same. So homoousios oh, means same substance. And then homoi means like, right? Is it yeah, like? Yeah. Like. Uh, uh, of like substance. Yes. So the the Arians would say, oh, he's kind of like God. Yeah. So anyways. All right, I'm done. Yes. Next one. Um, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. This comes from Away in a Manger. No crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. So that's a line in there. Sweet song. Kids love this song. Um, or even a song like Silent Night. You know, Silent night, holy night. I guess it's just that all one. is calm. Oh, all is calm. All, all is, is calm. bright. All is calm. <laughs> it's all calm. Now we're, we're okay. We're listen. We're being playful here. Okay, don't take this too seriously. But are we to um, are we to infer from that that Jesus was never sad, never cried, or or um, even that or that when the, Mary was giving birth, was it just like he just kind of plopped out? Yeah. Like, 
Oh, wow. Okay. She didn't have to go through <laughs> the physical <laughs> demands of human labor. Um, you, we, we would say, yeah, bad theology. Bad <laughs> theology. Well, and, and I do um, think, you know, going back to the, the idea that Jesus fully participated in our humanity. Yeah. Um, if Jesus stubbed his toe, you know, would, would he... Would he not feel any pain? Would it just kind of be, or, or you know, if he was he he was wanting to uh, to nurse, would he not cry? Would he just say, right. "Oh, mother, please," you know? Right, right. May I have some more, please? May I have some more? <laughs> uh, why do we always go British accents? When we're, yeah, even even yeah, Mary, yeah, Mary physically feeling um, whatever you know, whatever woman uh, who bears a child. Yeah, the, the pain child. of childbirth. Yeah. I mean. Um, he might have even had a bit, you know, a, li- a little bit of a cone head coming out. <laughs> he would have experienced what it's like to be birthed <laughs> into, uh, yeah, into. But I mean, yeah, there would be blood, there would be crying, sure. there would be sure. pain, um, and, and even like the Gospel of John. You know, we talk about Jesus, the tomb of Lazarus. He's yes. angry. He's crying. So. Yeah, he, he's fully human, which means he has the full human experience. So yeah. was that night silent? Uh, I don't think so. Did he cry? Yes, he probably he yeah. probably cried that night and many times after that. So, With a four-year-old at home and a five-month-old, I can tell you there is <laughs> sinful crying that is manipulative and intentional, yeah. and there is crying because of a physical need. A physical so need, yeah. There's a difference there. There you, you know? go. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. That is a really good point. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's um, yeah, that's that's all questionable theology, and we want to just and it's our gift to you for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's your stocking stuffer, yeah. people. Put it in. Um, yeah, <laughs> wrap that up. Well, this is our last podcast for 2021, so we'll see you back next year. We've got some great ideas coming up. We want to talk about how to engage our culture as a Christian, cancel culture, conspiracy theories, the Lord's Supper, mental health. And if you've got ideas or questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at northwestbible.com. The goal of this podcast is to spiritually form our own church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, we really hope that it serves the same purpose for you. See you next year.